Hi y'all, John Alcorn, that one dude 2020, really the CEO and founder of the God Over Money Sports Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Cared you'd actually be here. Bat it up. Oh, God! Stokely down the sideline. Can they catch him? Stokely. Wow! Touchdown! Blackwell stepping up and throwing deep down the far sideline. To the end zone, touchdown, Jacoby Jones! God cares for you on a bigger level than more than we could comprehend. No matter where the zone, the game is never. Toss to White! No matter that game-winning touchdown, you don't get that job. They say no. I shall withdraw some of because the goal is to not be here on this earth forever. And what it looks like, give thanksgiving to God, because through faith, all things are possible. God is doing it for our favor. But again, folks, this is the first one at the God Over Money Sports Network. When people think about that, they're like, sss, sss, sss. so just give me a break. Give me a chance. But before we kind of get into this, I know this is odd. So forgive me, John, or for everybody that's out there. This is the first one. So it's going to be rough. But uh, this is what we're going to do. 
I have no idea what to say, Lord, but we just thank you for this time that no, no matter what, it's not about money or fame or uh, or strippers or anything like that. It's about bringing people to know you through the sports world. In Jesus' name, amen. But my man, John, how are we doing today on the network launch? Doing great, John. Uh, really honored that you reached out to me to be your first guest. So happy to sharing this journey with you. And I've come on a couple of your other shows before, so mm -hmm. it's great to... Um, Get this thing started. Glad to be here. It's 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 been a journey, folks. I can tell you all this time last year, I was about to quit. I think it's right before we started staying in touch. So I tell people this industry is is not easy. If you're not a fan of staying up to 3 a.m., just leave. Let's just do the brutally honest. But this is kind of the format we're trying to figure out. So the first one's gonna be rough. We kind of do that like the parent of getting like a quick Bible verse. So I know some people are familiar with this, some people are not, but that's really the whole point of the network here. It is, I believe it's Philippians 4 through sorry, Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 13. And when it says, I can do all things through Christ who threatens me, it's it's not it's beyond human understanding, folks. It doesn't, it's just like in a sports ministry. We are sports world. I used to think in ministry is just a uh, a Methodist preacher just sitting on a pulpit on Sunday, saying a bunch of words that people really don't pay attention to. Who knew, I guess almost two years ago when I started, I met guys like yourselves and the people at the MI6, nobody really knows. And this is exceptionally crazy. Some people, if you believe the Bible or, or not, but we can talk, when it talks about, I can do all things to Christ who thinks me, it goes back to David and Goliath. We can have our own, what you call David and Goliath story where it looks like it's not going to happen. Like you're not going to make an industry. But I promise you, two years ago, I, I, I have it here somewhere. I wrote down a list of all the equipment. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I sound like I'm stuttering. I sound like I'm drunk, even though I don't do that. I just sound like I did know what to do. But two years later, it happens. I'm not telling you, oh, look, if you just wait, you'll get all this material things done. You know, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yes, this equipment is expensive, but it's not about, oh, look what I did or look what somebody else did. It's really a matter of what God did. The, the, the David and Clyde story, I think, is very important, though. It teaches that look, no matter your obstacle, that, that it's it's hard. I mean, I'm very stubborn. But faith is a very important thing. I'm not going to change who I am in the industry to get a million dollars. The goal isn't to make a lot of money. Like I said, I don't know about for you, but for me, it's more just I'd rather be independent because a lot of times some people don't like when you're from the norm. And that's what I said. No matter your obstacle, your Goliath or situation where it's like you don't know what's going to happen in the industry. I tell people, if you're a Christian that wants to be in the industry, make sure that's what God wants you to do. Because I've tried work with kids for many years, and well, let's just say I'm glad that didn't work out anyway. But it's very important. You're David and Goliath. It could be uh, going to school or getting the industry. If I promise you, anybody that wants to get in the industry that is a Christian, I promise you, it's worth it. There's going to be a lot of rejections, a lot of people that are going to basically give you the middle finger. But with that kind of part, how we're going to do the format? Let's get to the football talk, my man. The huge, people could say a huge trade came out of the NFL this week. The Atlanta Falcons decided to trade Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans. What were your initial thoughts on this? And does this really increase the Tennessee Titans' Super Bowl chances next year? Um, I think it does. But we have to remember Julio Jones is 32 years old. So a lot of people were wondering, oh, why was there only a second-round pick given up? Well, Julio Jones is older, and... As we all know, and many fantasy football players know at least, 
he has not been the touchdown machine that he once was. I mean, when he was younger uh, in Atlanta, he was getting 10, 12, 15 touchdowns a season. Now you're lucky if he's getting five. Just goes to show you that, you know, things are different and he's slowly but surely not become the number one option in Atlanta anymore. And that's why he's been expendable enough to trade. So for the Titans, I think he'll do okay um, with Ryan Tannehill. I think he'll he'll be fine. It gives Tannehill an option, a better option than what he had before. The Titans have never really had a good wide receiver uh, recently. So I think that'll help things out a bit. But I'm not going to say one wide receiver makes them some Super Bowl contender. They need to get things figured out uh, with the rest of their team. Uh, you know, fortunately, the run game, the quarterback game seem to be okay. Uh, but, you know, their defense has been iffy at times, and that's going to need to change if they want a Super Bowl. Not one wide receiver is going to do it. Now, he's a good wide receiver, but he's 32. Um, so I'm curious to see exactly what he does. I I'm assuming I would have to guess maybe a 1,000-yard season, great, which is what he usually does. But I'm expecting lower touchdown numbers, similar ones that we've seen the past couple of years in Atlanta. This is they talk about gluttony in Bible, but that's what the Tennessee Titans are doing. They're basically doing a bunch of gluttony at the receiver position. You let Corey Davis go, which I can see was partly a mistake, but I understand their defense. They let certain guys go. You let Jonah Smith go, which I think was really not smart by the organization. This is the problem. Like we all look at like paper and roster. For example, I'm not saying percent 2019 Cleveland Browns or other teams. Roster doesn't matter if it doesn't mean execution on the field. The problem is, like I said, are we going to get 2019 Julio Jones or are we going to get 2018 Julio Jones? And that is the problem here. Yes, football is a game about uncertainty here, but he's third to, like you said, perfect example. Certain positions, when they get in their early 30s, regardless of what you think they can do what they did in the past he's 32 years old that is a receiver is it tight ends are different quarterbacks like running backs in the game in their late 20s people are like ah yeah you had all those good years but it's about what are you going to do now a second round pick let go of the ego bro yes i'm glad you're on the titans but this does not increase the super bowl chances this doesn't help them at all and this is where it's i sometimes disagree with Colin, but at this point i i agree that was like it's not just like a bunch of kisses the problem is their bread and butter and how their offenses ran is still through Derrick Henry. So I don't understand now all of a sudden, John, how bringing in uh, Julio Jones, future first ball hall of famer, AJ Brown, whoever else is their tight end, and you got Derrick Henry, their bread and butter, their offense, how their offense is going to be run is not going to change just because of Julio. And the problem is, and you've seen this, and like you've either been around kids with do the same thing over and over and over. That's what the Titans are doing here. You can say, oh, I'm Haiti because my team didn't have a quarterback. No, this is a factor here. When you stop Derrick Henry, this offense is almost like this empty bottle of power. It means nothing. It adds no value to your life. It's a donut hole. There's nothing there. So I don't understand the question now, John, before we continue on. If they stop Derrick Henry next year, what is their offense going to do? I really think it's going to do the same thing. I, I love Ryan Tannehill. He's doing a great job. But he's not that type of quarterback. Just be real. He's not that type of quarterback to put the team on his back. Because if he really was, they would have been to a Super Bowl. Again, I'm not playing all in him. There's no blame game. But they would have been traceable. You look at Kansas City, that interception to Honey Badger in 2019. You go back to last year and they can leave wild card or depressed around. They lose yet again. They stop Derrick Henry. I love Derrick Henry. He'll probably be on the cover of Madden, even though EA is, well, they blocked me on the email. But their offense is not going to change just because of Julio. It's great to have him, but it's not a necessity. The problem is we talk about necessity versus uh, nice. 
necessity is not you don't need Julio Jones. So I don't understand what they're trying to do. I get it, but I've still had to pick for that division next year. If Carson Wentz stays healthy, they have Frank Wright. So I don't understand. People don't want to hear that, John, but Julio Jones bringing to the Tasty Times really isn't going to add a whole lot of value in terms of playoff contention next year. Yeah, it, it really won't. Um, you are right in saying that the the offense runs through Derrick Henry at this point, and, and that's been pretty apparent. There's nothing wrong with Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback, but let's be honest. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to do something uh, to make your team that much better. He's just a good game manager. There's nothing wrong with that. He's probably about the 15th or 16th, maybe 17th best quarterback in football, and there's there's no problem. I mean, that's not an issue with me. It's just a fact, and that's how they operate. They have a different style of offense compared to other teams in the league. They're not the Chiefs, and they know that, so they own up to their identity. And what their identity is, we're going to run the ball 20, 25, 30 times a game with Derrick Henry. When we have to pass, we will. So the problem is, why not strengthen something to help your run game, which is going to be your bread and butter? Why go out and get something that, I mean, it's cool, and I guess maybe it'll bring fans to the stands. I'm sure part of this was a marketing ploy, but at the end of the day, this is not something that really conforms to your offensive system. It, it brings a lot of hype. It gets people excited. It might sell more tickets in the long run. But when it comes to your on-the-field product, this is a marginal difference. If they did not have Julio Jones for this upcoming season, maybe it would make a one-game difference. Maybe they'd lose one more game if they didn't have Julio Jones. But I don't see it being that big of a deal. And he'll probably just put up pedestrian numbers, you know, 900,000 receiving yards, five touchdowns. He's old. They don't pass a lot. And it's, I don't think it's going to be that great a fit uh, in Tennessee. But John, it's not what they want to hear. They want us to give us a hallmark response. Well, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be dandy. They're going to the Super Bowl. We're a bunch of haters. But that's just not the reality. Just because we disagree with you doesn't mean we're hating it. Believe me, I've hated on my team. But, folks, that's just the facts. If you want to disagree, that's okay. But you can have the same therapist as Bucky Barnes and fucking Orange Soldier if you really have an issue with us. But get into the comments to your concept. Let's go, fellas. Count where we're always here for you. We know you're taking a week off of programming from the MS6 Sports Network. So we're always here for you. But two episodes next week we'll watch for the Loki TV show. And Trevor says... This will allow the Tennessee to spread out the field and make it a little bit easier to run the ball. That is. But with that being said, that's sure where, like John said, him being 32 years old at the receiver position, how much of is that a difference maker is that going to be? We don't know. That's the NFL. It's not guaranteed. Are we getting 25-year-old Julio Jones? Are we getting 2011 Julio Jones? We don't know. And with that, and with Ryan Tannehill reconstructing his contract, I just don't see how that's going to change Moving forward, quarterbacks reconstruction in their contract. I don't see how it's going to work. I don't think it's in favor of Tennessee, but I hope I'm wrong. But if people want to disagree, I'm not responsible for your physical or mental health. So don't be going at me at here in the comments and services. This will spread the field out for the Titans and make it easier to run the ball, of course, my man. So let's see what happens with Tennessee here. But again, now talking about your – Chicago Bears. I know you've been very vocal about it. Of course, some of it rightfully so. Talking about you probably shouldn't rush Justin Fields, but kind of want to go over a couple of games this year with you just for a moment, getting out the preseason because who honestly cares about that one? 
John, did you kind of look on early on week one? Y'all played the Los Angeles Rams. We know the out of not rushing a certain rookie quarterback. How do you think the Bears should approach this game? Because the Rams, they're under, they're the most pressured team in the NFL this year. They're the most pressured team, but I think they're a very talented team. And that's what's going to help them, I think, overcome the pressure. Matthew Stafford, people don't like Matthew Stafford. I get he's not a premier option, but I think we saw what Sean McVay did with Jared Goff. And Jared Goff, to me, is a bust. I mean, he's a bust. And if he wasn't with Sean McVay, he'd be labeled a bust immediately. And he was. We all remember what happened with Jeff Fisher's rookie year. So Sean McVay really resurrected the career of Jared Goff. Now he's going to go to Detroit, I guarantee you, not even be a shell of his former self. Meanwhile, you bring in Matthew Stafford, who's never really had a team, but still put up decent numbers. Now he's going into a Sean McVay offense, and he's going to have weapons, and he's going to be in Los Angeles. They're going to be a hell of a team. Uh, I think they're going to beat the Bears week one. Even if Justin Fields starts, I think they're going to end up uh, coming out on top against the Bears. The Bears' defense is regressing. It's getting older. It's not what it was in 2018. 2018 was their peak, and unfortunately, thanks to a Cody Parkey missed kick, uh, they could not take advantage of that. And ever since then, it's gotten worse and worse. Um, I have a sick feeling Fields may start week one only for marketing purposes. I feel like it would be a great matchup to have Matthew Stafford, Justin Fields, Sunday Night Football, week one. But the correct thing to do, as I've talked to many experts on my program, is to wait. Wait for Fields to develop. We I just talked about this today. OTAs have happened already, and Fields fumbled two snaps from the center. Fine. You have to master the regular things. You have to master the routine stuff before you can even think about heading into a game. That stuff can't be happening if you're a rookie, if you're a 10th-year veteran in the NFL. You can't be coughing up the football for no reason. So these are just small things that need to be smoothed out and corrected before he gets a chance to start in a game. And I would hope that the Bears exercise caution and understand who Justin Fields is and how valuable he could be to the Bears fan base and to the organization so I wouldn't rush him, and I'd wait to see what happens. I don't know why, John, people don't feel more that way. I know Matt Nagy is coaching for his job, but at the same time, this is where it separates the coaches from the frauds, where, yes, you're coaching for your career, per se, because we know none of us probably aren't a fan of Matt Nagy and Tom Hearn being his coffee maid, is that you can't rush a rookie quarterback. I understand certain systems are different. Maybe if you had, like, a Mahomes, per se, I'm not comparing – either Foles or Darn to Mahomes or Alex Smith. But it's a perfect situation because you saw, even though it was one game in uh, Patrick Mahomes' rookie year, he looked awful. This guy looked like, oh, my gosh, this guy looks terrible. But that's the beauty part. If you rush things, just like when you rush a career, you rush into either the sports industry or something else, it's not about, oh, not getting what you want. It's about when you get it. The problem is if you rush – Justin Fields, they're going to make him look like a bust. Again, this is Georgia via Ohio State versus two quarterbacks. I believe Matthew Stafford went to Georgia. So just those alums coming together, that's great for marketing. If you do that for marketing, you're not just screwing up Matt Nagy's career, but you're screwing up Justin Fields. We know the potential of him. We know this is why I'm frustrated with Gus. Like, oh, he had some injuries or so. His family did epilepsy. I think he'd be a great quarterback. But Yes, I would pick the Rams. I'm done. I'm not hating on the the Chicago Bears. I just don't like what the Bears are doing. And if Allen Robinson has signed that uh, extension or I believe that uh, 
the player option for this next year. So I picked the Rams. They're very talented. But like you said, you're right, Jared Goff. I said he's a bright product of the weapons. And that's why sometimes people I've seen people in your comments maybe disagree with you, disagree with myself, because they are hearing what they don't want to hear. And that's why I think that kind of comes into play. If you rush a quarterback, I'm telling you, I know Joe Burrow, different stories, but Justin Fields is going to be something special. I wanted him with my Broncos. And, of course, what did John Elway do if he fully drafted a cornerback? So thanks a lot, John Elway here. But this one is maybe a little bit interesting. No, dude, it's Chicago Bears versus Detroit. So, yes, you have Jared Goff. But their best receiver is Rashad Perriman. So if Allen Robinson drama, John, with Chicago is somehow resolved, how do you think this game could pan out in week four? That shouldn't be a problem for the Bears. Uh, Jared Goff, I feel like, is going to take a major step back in 2021. Uh, he is not with Sean McVay. And we saw at times he was even weak with Sean McVay. He had a lot of interceptions, um, lots of turnovers. There were a couple of games that were just total clunkers from Jared Goff. Uh, in Los Angeles. So without Sean McVay, and you have a new head coach on top of it in Detroit, new culture, new offense, now a new quarterback, and no weapons, really. No conceivable weapons, no run game. Just doesn't look good for Jared Goff, and certainly doesn't look good for the Lions. They're in a total rebuild mode, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're going to be tanking for the next couple of years, I believe. They're going to rack up some draft picks, and probably in about five years, maybe the Lions will be somewhat of a factor. But until then, they are going to be mediocre, worse than mediocre. They're going to just be straight up bad and probably be be near the bottom of the division this year. So if that's the case, I think the Bears should easily come away with that one, no matter who's starting, Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. Um, And they should probably sweep that season series and beat the Lions again when they face them next. That's what people don't want to hear. Like I I looked at their receiving core. Their their receiving core is as bad as the 2007 Tennessee Titans here. I mean, Brashad Perriman in 2019, his best year, less than 700 yards, John. Tyler Williams, the shell of his not former, and Geronimo Allison. Okay, maybe you have one semi-talented guy, and then you have one of the many, many Titans the Lions drafted in 26, seven tight ends in 2019. I give the edge to obviously the Bears, not obviously because you say quarterback play, but like you say, I agree though. Like that's the problem is people, numbers can be deceptive. This, even though I like pro football focus, you have empty calorie stats. I was, you look at, oh, 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns, 12 picks. That sounds great, John. But it, towards the end of the 2018 season, when they were headed towards the contending for that Super Bowl, he had six touchdowns, seven picks. And you look at the film, and that's the problem. Is people always look at numbers. You look at zero cows. Is it good? Yeah, you always look at a bunch of empty numbers. And it that really hurts a quarterback. Because you look at the film, I mean, going back to the Super Bowl, in 20, he literally looked like a deer in light. I don't understand people seeing Jericho. People say that I'm being a hater. I'm being mean. this is this is fact. If you don't, if you want to ignore the film, if you want to ignore the numbers, then frankly, I don't know, don't know what to tell anybody here. But I think there's one more game I kind of wanted to cover here. Of course, yes, there's 17 games, 18 weeks. So I'm glad there's more football, but uh, I'm not really too sure how that's going to move forward. But this one though would be interesting, John. Maybe the Chicago Bears versus the Green Bay Packers. As we know, there's a lot of quarterback drama per se. How do you think, even if 
Aaron Rodgers is gone, how do you think the Bears should approach this game, whether it's at the quarterback position or making adjustments at halftime? I think if Aaron Rodgers does not play, the Bears have a very realistic chance to win, not just that game, but even the division. If Aaron Rodgers does sit out, I mean, who else is going to be a threat? The Lions are rebuilding. Uh, the Vikings have Kirk Cousins, which I guess that could be a bit of an issue. And the Packers have Jordan Love, whom no one really knows about and who really was not impressive in college by any stretch of the imagination. I'm still wondering why the Packers chose Jordan Love versus anybody else. Jordan Love did nothing really in college. So if Jordan Love is playing, I think the Bears win, even with Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. If Aaron Rodgers returns, which I still believe deep down he's coming back, Aaron Rodgers. And when he does, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers all over again. It's going to be the Aaron Rodgers show. He's going to carve up the Bears as he always has every year. And the Bears are going to probably lose both games they have against the Packers scheduled for this season. And it makes you cry of football tears knowing I gave myself false reality of getting Aaron Rodgers. I would have flown down there, given the papers, bought him a box of Omaha steaks, maybe a cup of coffee or anything else to bring Aaron Rodgers in. Because, of course, John Elway should be arrested for fraud for pretending to be an owner of the NFL. I, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into ranks. That's not the point. But I definitely – I. I don't understand why they drafted Jordan Love, but imagine that's the icing on the cake here. Like I said, that relationship's been so bad. I don't know how they fix it because it's been screwed up since 2005. Yes, they mended the relationship between Rodgers and Favre. I I just don't like the Packers. I I, I don't like Matt LaPoo. I, I call him Matt LaPoo because he's one of the more overrated offensive play callers in the NFL, and I don't get it. Camp Cousins, and they drafted Kalmon for a reason. They're in almost rebuild mode. You got the Lions, who are uh, can maybe be the sponsor for the Toilet Bowl in 2022. So who knows? With no way or no how. But if you could talk about the Bears, I know you talked about that, but deep down in your football heart, how do you think that plays out pending any other injuries towards the 2021 campaign? You know, by the guess today, I would say Andy Dalton does probably start games one, two, maybe three before a change is made. I still think that's too early, but I feel like the clamoring from fans and media and even people within Alice Hall are going to make sure that happens. Um, I would say that Dalton will probably do okay. Uh, I could see him probably going two and one in his first three games or at least 500, which would be great for him. And he'll probably be taken out, and they're going to put in Justin Fields. Now, that's a tough blow for Dalton. That said, though, he's already gotten paid. Um, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal. And then Fields will start. And I think Fields will be okay this year. I'm not going to expect anything big. I know right now, like, Vegas is saying 3,000 yards, 15 touchdowns, or 2,900 yards, 15 touchdowns in his rookie year. That's great. I don't even see that. Even if he does play 15 games, per se. They're going to be very, very conservative with Fields, like they were in a sense with Trubisky at first. And I know there was John Fox, but still, I don't feel like uh, it's going to go that well or is how people expect it will. I feel like his second year, in which it'll be a full year, everyone will know he's the starter. He'll know he's the starter. It'll go great. But I think this year is going to be a, a year of growing pains for the Bears that people don't realize yet. And, you know, when they do, they might be blindsided a bit. 
if you want to talk about growing pains, does that mean Man Aggie comes back next year? Do you think that could give Man Aggie some leeway or excuse to be like, hey, we're developing this guy. We drafted him. Give me some time. Or how do you think that Matt Nagy would approach that next year? Matt Nagy is definitely staying around for this season, and he'll be back next year as well. He's bought himself at least two seasons, if not even more, for Justin Fields. Justin Fields just signed a four-year contract today with the fifth-year option. That, that was finalized. I would suggest that Nagy will get at least two years, minimum two years. And if it doesn't work after two, it'll show that Nagy is the problem. He was the one who broke Trubisky. He was the one who broke Fields, and a new coach has to come in and clean up his mess. If it ends up working, Nagy probably is going to get a lifetime contract with the Bears for finally uh, discovering a quarterback that worked, even though he wasn't the one who drafted him, but that, that won't make a difference. Tom Herman will find a way to screw it up for Man Nagy and the Chicago Bears, just like he screwed up with the Texas Longhorns. Because y'all know I'm passionate about football. I'm getting a poster board and, of course, a, a photo of the microphone. And on top of it, hey, Steve, hey, Steve, just to be trolling the Texas Longhorns coach. So, Tom Herman, please don't do what you did at UT with the Chicago Bears because there's too much growing paint. But before we kind of continue on here, folks, I believe I have it right here. For anybody during either during the program or during the week, if you have any, like, prayer requests, we have a uh, Google Voice number that we set up. I believe it's uh, 281-675-5081 or at the, or at the email that got over money sports network at gmail.com. So, again, those are private. They're not going to be shared with anybody. If anybody tries to share it or make fun of them, they will be fired immediately. It will not be associated with the network in any way, shape, or form because that is taken very seriously. But, Christy, I really hope, giving myself false hope here, I can see Aaron Rodgers going to the Broncos. I could. But I don't know if John Elway has the thought process to do what he did in 2012. Because if he didn't, he probably would have been fired from the Denver Broncos. I could see maybe at that point in time. But again, folks, you get if you have any of your comments, concerns, you disagree, or you want to send some John Walker hate my way, you go ahead in the comment section. But John, we talked about this before the show. There's a list per Eric Eager. Oh, my gosh, I didn't know who this guy was till today. His best offensive play callers. This is not my list. This is not a troll. This is what he said. His top six. Number one, Matt LaFleur, uh, Brian DeBall, okay, Andy Reid, not a bad. I can't believe I'm saying this one. John Gruden. And Madden 21, it could because that's the glitchiest game of all time. I could you have a 45 year old, 45 overall quarterback throw for 4,000 yards a year, but John, oh, that guy needs to be like either tested for like either lack of sleep or something because there is no possible way you could honestly think. But Joe Brady, if Joe, Joe Brady was so good, why did y'all trade away Teddy Bridgewater? So I don't – and then Brian Leftwich at number six. I mean, that's just pure – you need to send an apology, a gift basket, a fruit basket to Brian Leftwich and the Tampa Buccaneers for purely disrespecting. But your list for that, um, John, how do you feel about that? And if you had to make a lot of changes or if any, who would you pick as maybe your few, your favorite, or your opinion of your best offensive play callers? I like Byron Leftwich a lot. I think one day he's going to be a head coach in the NFL, possibly soon. 
Uh, you know, now he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, crafted a or Super Bowl winning OC, really, crafted a brand new offense for one of the game's premier quarterbacks, the greatest quarterback of all time. So I think Byron Leftwich um, is going to be a coach someday. I'd still put probably Andy Reid at number one, probably put LaFleur like around three or four. I'd put Leftwich above LaFleur, but those, those three would be my top three. Um, LaFleur has done a good job, I'd say, an okay job. I mean, he does have a lot of weapons to work with. He does have a great quarterback to work with. But that said, the offense wasn't working under Mike McCarthy anymore. So something had to change for them to become who they are now. And I guess you have to give some credit to Matt LaFleur. Um, so I'd probably go with those three. I still think Andy Reid is the top offensive mind in the game today. But Byron Leftwich is definitely giving him a run for his money. And as Reid gets older, uh, Leftwich is soon going to take over that top spot, in my opinion. And he will be a head coach, I'd say, in the next five years. I could definitely see that with him drafting uh, that quarterback out of Florida. But I, I wish today was April Fool's. I get We can have different opinions and disagree. But John Gruden shouldn't even be in top ten. And Matt LaPoo, I'll call you Matt LaPoo because you're the 26th-ranked offense in Tennessee, bringing into the Green Bay Packers. You had Kent Cousins. I don't care what nobody – Kent Cousins is overrated. Uh, Chicago's – they should be able to figure it out. The Lions are literally the toilet bowl of the NFC. So I don't understand this list. But first one, I have Brian Leftwich. I only have Andy Reid at number two because I'm a chief hater. Okay, I'm a Broncos fan, so no respect. But – uh. Three, Brian DeBall, I could get that the Buffalo Bills were in the AC Championship game. You kind of saw how in 2019, Josh Allen, his completion percentage, there were some doubts about him, but in 2020, and really he was in the conversation for, or should have been conversation for MVP. This one is probably, maybe I should go back to sleep for this one. I said, maybe he came with Stefanski, because he's obviously better than John Gruden. I know you can say, oh, it's too early. Fine, but at least see, I think the potential is there. Because there's no way on this green earth you should put John Gruden and Joe Brady in the top five. That makes my football nerves just hurl. I just want to – I just can't believe Eric Eager would say that. I thought he was sitting on Comedy Central. But, no, this was a real list that came out and was absolutely serious about this. And that, to me, you could say had to be laughable for that one. But uh, I could say I had a good laugh uh, with that one, John. Yeah, without question. Um, that was, uh, you know, you have to wonder why uh, that list was even created and the, the order that it was put in. I don't know who made it. I don't know this person personally, but that is uh, that's not something I would recommend. Uh, I certainly would not agree with it. So I definitely we couldn't <laughs> disagree more. But speaking of more, really, the crazy sports takes or teams in contention. I like Stephen A. Smith's personality, but th this has to be his dumbest take ever. You're saying Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf are a legitimate threat against the Bucks in the NFC. If you heard that, what would your initial reaction really be to that, John? You know, they are talented offensively, but the problem with that statement is you are discounting uh, Seattle's defense and pretty much every other player on Seattle. Two guys will not take you to a Super Bowl. I'm sorry. Uh, that just doesn't happen. Um, the, the Buccaneers all around have a really good team. Their defense, which was scary good last year, people didn't really realize that because they had Tom Brady. They had three different running backs, Antonio Brown, lots of different players offensively. They kind of got the job done, but their defense was special. 
Seattle's defense is nothing. And all you really have at the end of the day is Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett to an extent, but even that's a stretch. So when that's all you have up here, Seattle, um, I don't see them going that far. I certainly don't see them as a threat to the Buccaneers. I mean, that's kind of an outlandish statement. Uh, if you know anything about football and you know anything about especially the Buccaneers and what they did last year, you would realize that their offense wasn't even necessarily their main driving point. It was the defense that did a great job, especially in the Super Bowl, and getting all over Patrick Mahomes, sacking him countless times, and making sure that the Chiefs had no chance offensively. Their defense is great. Seattle's is nothing. Seattle has two or three good players offensively, and that's it. So there's no chance that they're going to be a threat to the Buccaneers. I wouldn't know how to react to this because, like you said, that's the problem is people don't want to hear certain things. Like you can't rely on two people. It's the same thing. After Legion of Boom, they tried to do that over and over. It didn't work in 2016, 2017, 2018. We lost against Dallas in the wild card round. That Prescott's rookie year by the fact – in 2019 didn't work in 2020. This is 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 either the organization is run by a bunch of toddlers or somebody needs to get some blame for what Seattle isn't doing. We know the talent of Wilson, but the problem is you can't just be pass, 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 and loop it around and expect to do anything. Their their math skills are terrible. I mean, my, you got Jamal Adams, but last time I checked, John, they haven't paid him. See, the amount of money you're going to have to pay him, along with Russell Wilson's almost forty plus million dollar cap hit. In 2021, is going to be insane. So I don't a biggest threat to the Bucks is did Tom Brady retire? Did Brian Leftwich retire? Did uh did did the whole organization somehow just quit? I don't understand what you mean. The biggest threat. This that's the problem with Seattle. It's like they go full gas to the first four to six weeks. So like a first half team, first quarter team, and then as you know, towards week seven, eight, nine, you start to go downhill. And like, okay. Russell Wilson probably shouldn't be in the MVP conversation here. So I don't know how they would be a threat considering at, at every position, tight end, running back, everything, even practice squad, is better than Seattle. So I don't understand at what threat. You got Mike Evans, Chris Scott went back. I know Lenford is a running back, but he's dual threat. You got multiple guys on the offensive side of the ball. So I don't understand here how they would be a threat. Now, I love Wilson. He's one of my – favorite quarterbacks, but I just don't understand the notion here, how they would be a threat to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because number one, they just want to circle. There's a reason why, John, like we all make mistakes, but there's a reason why Seattle hasn't won a Super Bowl since they beat my Denver Broncos, but there is an absolute reason. You can blame part of that, Pete Carroll or John Snyder, who I don't know if he's still there or not, but that guy is an absolute dumpster fire. He needs to be fired immediately. He, he needs to take his credentials away. Because this is an absolute travesty. I don't know how they let him run this organization that way. Because when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback and you're ruining it, it just, I, I don't understand that statement. But Stephen Smith, man, I'm, I just say you maybe need to take a day off because that statement was no way, no how will Seattle or the 49ers ever try to contend or be a legitimate threat. Tom Brady? So saying you're you're doubting Tom Brady. This is the same Cinderella story again and again, and that's where I think some people, John, probably don't learn their lesson. I've learned my lesson. I lost twenty bucks betting against Tom Brady. Yeah, but, um, you know, 
Yeah, no, Tom Brady, uh, you have to learn over the years not to bet against him. I've learned my lesson as well. I haven't put down any money, but like this past year, for example, I actually favored Tom Brady and the Buccaneers over the Chiefs, and I was right. Not because of Tom Brady specifically, because of their defense. Their defense was great, and it completely outnumbered whatever the Chiefs had to offer their, you know, makeshift defense that they threw out there, a ragtag bunch of guys who really couldn't get the job done. So, um, yeah, I, I really don't see them as being um, taken down. Uh, I think they're going to still be a force to be reckoned with in 2021. And, uh, you know, Seattle and San Francisco and all these other teams could buy for that spot. But at the end of the day, the Buccaneers are still the most complete and the most talented team in the NFC. I mean, you have Bruce Arians, who's been around since uh, he's with the CEOs with when they drafted Antonio Brown. So I think Bruce Arians knows a little bit about offensive talent, but really kind of talking about talent here. One topic in the NBA here is you like to hear these kind of stories because, you know, there's two rounds. Line up, not a lot of guys get a chance to win MVP, but, again, if I pronounce your name wrong, dude, it's, uh, I, I'm terrible at pronouncing this. No good. Jokic won his first NBA MVP award, a 41st overall pick in 2014. John, what kind of story does this tell people, and how do you think this should give hope to other future low-drafted players in the NBA? It's a great story. Uh, Jokic was not really highly touted, and he grew on his own, and there was some good development in there by the Denver Nuggets to help him get better. Uh, they surrounded him with some good players, good role players, and they gave him an environment that would work for him. They made him the center of their offense and made him uh, their top scorer. Um, so it's just a matter now of, you know, putting it all together. And that's what he did this year. Uh, he's been talented the past couple of years. He's almost averaged triple doubles the past couple of years. And now finally, with the Nuggets doing so well, um, they gave him the MVP, and I have no issue with it. I preferred Jokic from the very beginning. He's a very good basketball player. Not talked about enough uh, because he plays for the Nuggets. So everyone wants to talk about LeBron and not Jokic, who did win the MVP. Um, so I think Jokic, this is much more to come for him. This is the apex of his career. I think for the next two or three years, he'll play at this level before eventually bottoming out. And if he stays at this pace, he's for certain going to be a Hall of Famer. So he's done very well this year. Those type of stores I do like, well, I don't watch the NBA a whole lot. I think it's really definitely something that could be very special here. But kind of these last two topics, I know you're a busy man. Todd Gurley, man, oh, man, what could have happened? He's visiting his third team in the Baltimore Ravens. My question to you is, is he done in the NFL? And what type of lessons can we learn from Todd Gurley's story? Yeah, Todd Gurley, um, unfortunately, it was just an injury thing with him. Uh, the arthritis in his knees just couldn't keep up, and that goes to show you that just how tough the NFL really is. The average lifespan of an NFL player is four years, and for running backs, I believe it's three the last time I checked. Running backs are a dime a dozen, usually, which is why no one pays them, by the way, but that's a separate topic. So to see Gurley still around, I mean, I give him credit for battling through the injuries, and he didn't have a bad year last year in Atlanta. I mean, it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't Gurley-esque. He's not going to be who he was before. That's just a fact. Those days are over. The 40-point-per-week fantasy weeks are going to be over for Todd Gurley, but he could still be a valuable role player. They, in Baltimore, have a lot of guys. Uh, they lost Ingram, but they still have Dobbins, who they're trying to develop. So that could be a nice two-headed monster in their backfield. 
and they should be okay moving forward. Of course, Lamar Jackson's their number one running back and their number one quarterback, but um, he'll get some reps. I'd say probably 100 to 150 carries, and if he can average four per carry, that's all you can ask for. I tried to tell people this. This is a very serious injury, and it could end up not just like I said, not just in his NFL career, but moving forward after. I don't know arthritis or much about it. I'm not a medical person, but I do know this is something to take seriously. Some people didn't want to listen, but Targaryen, I wish you the best, my man. I just I tell people take that seriously because this is not just this is not about his career, John. Like people don't understand. Again, I'm not a football person, but like people don't understand. I guess after the NFL, how it takes a physical toll on your life. But kind of my last question to you, thank for coming on this one, even though it's kind of rough for me though. But um, for anybody that wants to be in the sports world, what would be, I guess, your advice to anyone that kind of wants to get into this field, even though they don't really know yet what it takes? Great question, John. Um, what I would say is do what you have to do early on and really grind. Uh, start something by yourself. You know, you don't need to go to the big company right away to make an impact. I started at 13. I'm 21 now. And, you know, my work's been featured in a number of places. You know, I've, I've been in like Fox News, TMZ, uh, you know, different publications have picked up my work and I'm just independent. So that just goes to show you that it's not necessary to work at ESPN or Fox Sports to make an impact, to get your voice heard and to have a following. Uh, my following isn't huge. I'm trying to grow it just like you are, but it's something. And that's all from hard work. And it's only going to continue, I would hope. So uh, if I were you and you're trying to get into this field, don't be chasing that big internship. If it comes to you, great. But if I were you, no matter what, even if you get the big internship, do at least a weekly podcast with video, if possible. If not, audio is fine. But at least do something to get the reps in. The reps are important. Finding your voice is very important. I did not find my voice until really February or March of this year. The whole pandemic, um, I, I learned and learned and I got better and better and better. Um, I was horrible even before the pandemic when I listened to my tapes, even from last March, didn't sound good at all. Uh, the radio program allowed me to get into a rhythm where I was doing something every day. So that allowed me to find my voice plain and simple. That's just simple reps. The problem is, you know, a lot of people don't want to put in that work or don't have the time for it. It's understandable, but I did. And now I found my voice and I'm just looking for the next opportunity. So for anyone listening or watching who wants to just get started, or maybe they're in the business and they're still trying to figure their way out, get reps. Don't chase the big internship. Do what you can on your own to start something. You don't need someone to hand something to you. You can start something easily, especially in this day and age. And find your voice, uh, and you'll find your voice through reps. And over time, you'll you'll be good, and you'll make it. Without a doubt, man. And if you thought your original podcast stuff was bad, I would pay people not to listen to my original stuff. So, share that later. But folks, before we go, let's go into today's like final thoughts. Again, John, thank you so much for taking time out of your. Day here, I wasn't sure how this was going to go from my first one here, but um, do you have any like final thoughts or kind of special shout outs or things that you're working on currently? Yeah, thank you, John. Um, again, you can all find me on the radio here in Chicago and 1530 WCKG. Um, I'm on YouTube, which I see is now on the ticker Sports Talk Chicago. I'm just about to hit 2,000 subs, so I'm 50 away. It'd be great if you could subscribe. 
Find me Sports Talk Chicago.com, Sports Talk Chicago, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube mm-hmm. again. And at John Z Sports on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook at John Zaglul. And uh, John, thanks for allowing me to come on, brother. For sure. Thanks so much, man, for coming on. We'll, we'll stay in touch. And y- you'll know if my Denver Broncos get in, Rogers. But at this point, who really knows? But uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, good luck to your Chicago Bears this year. They would definitely have a better year than my Broncos. Anytime, man. Thank thanks, you. Man. I don't know if I've seen someone with someone someone with the drive and passion. He's a rising star in this industry. He knows his stuff. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to go at people. And how did you get blocked by LeBron James on Twitter? Talking about, you know, wanting to inspire and, and like, I'm inspired right now. I want to run through a brick wall for you right now. I Cutthroat. It's very, you know, up and down roller coaster of emotion. God put me in a position. It's always a good time when I get to get on that dude 2020 show.